podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you are about to hear is a audio version of a astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also see it on video there. And this podcast is a place where I share both these forecasts as well as interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. So I will leave you to the forecast for August 4th to August 10th. Enjoy. Hey, this is Sabrina Monarch bringing you the astrology forecast for August 4th to August 10th, 2021. I am recording to you from my new space and I'm waiting on furniture being delivered tomorrow. So at the moment I am broadcasting from a exercise ball and some cardboard boxes and an end table, but we're here. We're being resourceful, a la these, uh, this new moon, square Uranus and Taurus, which I'll be getting into in a moment. Um, but despite the makeshift setup, I wanted to get on here. So yeah, we're here. Um, so let's begin. And before we get started, please like this video, subscribe to this channel and hit the notification bell so that you know when new videos come out. And at any point during this forecast or at the end, leave a comment and let me know what resonated with you and how you're doing and how you're connecting to the transits. So this week we have a new moon in Leo, square Uranus and Taurus. So a lunation that would already have these Leo themes like creativity, expression, and play it's going to be infused with the radical, innovative, electrifying, and freedom-loving quality of Uranus. It is as though then there is a thrust to this new moon around feeling creatively expressed in our sense of self or the circumstances that we have around us. Either we have some spaciousness to invent or create something, or we are feeling some necessity to befriend what we already are, given that Taurus has a grounded and resourceful quality. It's like intrinsic self-love, intrinsic worthiness. And then Leo expresses that energy outwardly. It is a pretty common orientation to wish our lives were different than they are, um, to be striving towards something. And the sun, after all, has this striving quality to it around self-actualization. As an energetic pattern, this kind of orientation can have a detached or dissociative quality, like any part of ourselves we put on a shelf um, that we believe will access when something changes. And of course, it's valid that we will feel different when we are um, in a different home or in or out of a relationship or in or out of a career, right? Like our circumstances do affect us. However, some grounded focus on what the nectar and the juice is of exactly where we are at now, exactly who we are intrinsically, can be an important awareness to cultivate, a source of inner freedom and accessible abundance that might grow with our attention. 
the sun being the light of consciousness, the sun being an agent that helps things grow um, in a literal sense on the planet. Resourcefulness is often deeper than we imagine. There are mysteries here. For example, the images that you generate in your imagination or visioning, or the feelings that you generate with your sensuality um, and your receptivity to pleasure, these are all forms of wealth. Intuition and recognizing an opportunity is also a form of wealth, like being receptive to resource, really. Confidence is like an investment in ourselves, the practice or embodiment of backing our own gifts or inherent worthiness. Consider how this new moon in Leo squaring Uranus and Taurus can be a portal for intrinsic discovery of internal riches, as well as how you honor this source of life within you. So before we get into our week, I'm gonna share my screen and share a few announcements. One is that my novel, my debut novel, The Garden of Sleeping Hammers is out and you can um, purchase it through the links in the notes. Right now it's available through Barnes and Noble. Um, I like the quality of the printing there in terms of like the matte cover of the book and the pages, it's like quite nice. Um, I will be uploading it to other vendors um, like Amazon and whatnot um, at some point soon. Um, but yeah, this novel, um, I'm really excited to share it. And um, if you have read it already, you know, feel free to drop me a line and let me know what you think. Um, I am really excited to um, hear how it lands with people. The next Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is beginning in November 2021. We had pre-enrollment through the Kickstarter. Currently, um, enrollment... Uh, is forthcoming. So I will announce uh, when enrollment opens, but for now you can check the link in the notes and learn more about this course, read student testimonials. I absolutely love this course. I love teaching it. I love the community that forms um, and I love sharing this uh, comprehensive introduction into the world of both evolutionary astrology, but also really this big emphasis on having a personal relationship with astrology. And then there is a new episode of Magic of the Spheres. I am delighted about this episode. It's called The Eroticism of Saturn and Crystallizations from a Saturn Return in Aquarius with Ari Felix. Ari and I are both Saturn and Aquarius individuals, and we waxed poetic on this placement. Um, and it was just deep. I'm really stoked on this episode. So you can find that on Magic of the Spheres podcast. And I will get back into our forecast. On August 4th, 2021, the sun in 12 degrees of Leo will try and Chiron retrograde in 12 degrees of Aries at 3.41 PM Pacific. Um, I did, did forget to mention that if you want to read the forecast in written version, you can always find it at monarchastrology.com. I am reading uh, and adding extra commentary. So sun in Leo try and Chiron retrograde, 12 Leo sun. 12 degrees Chiron Aries, <laughs> scrambling my words here at 3.41 p.m. Pacific, August 4th. So the fire signs Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius relate to creative self-actualization and the hero's journey, the mythic quest. Like fire is all about that sense of special destiny. 
Chiron and Aries as a longer transit, I think it's around 13 years that Chiron's in Aries, I'd have to check, um, is generally speaking to activations and initiations around courage. It is through self-awareness that we recognize our fears as well as our longings and desires and resistances um, and fears around pursuing these dreams. Right, so we have to be honest with ourselves first to um, recognize where we're at, what we want, and where we are feeling resistance. That's actually a big piece of self-awareness. And once we are aware of our fear, um, we have the opportunity to develop courage in the face of it. At a visual or external level, the Aries archetype can seem very brave or courageous, but the underside of this is often fear and overcoming fear. I feel like it's the two faces of Aries. It's like, I'm scared and I'm victorious, right? I overcame my fear. We had to have fear in the first place. So if there are places in your life that you are currently harboring a lot of fear, um, this may speak to a developmental process of self that is occurring. Even if it's just basic fear, basic anxiety, and the process of feeling basically secure and safe in the world. Right, which is not about the world becoming safer necessarily, because the you know nature is uh, brutal in some expressions. Right, like there's natural disasters and volcanoes, and um, you know go into a jungle and tell me that it's safe. Right, so sometimes when I think about basic security in the world, there is a dimension of making the world a better or a safer place. That's like a social infrastructure kind of thing. At the personal level, it's like feeling like you have your own back or like you can um, trust yourself, trust your instincts, trust your intuition, um, know that you have, you know, know what your skills are and know how you deploy those skills. Those would be kind of ways, the Aries ways of feeling safe and secure at a basic level. Um, but then at other levels, say, um, if we get more specific, more nuanced or whatever about these fears, like as example, some people are afraid of expressing themselves fully um, within their family dynamic or perhaps within their relationships, right? Like just being honest. And let's use the family one. At a mythic level, this relates to the individuation process or leaving home, as well as the reintegration process of the return home with new knowledge to share. There may be more than meets the eye in the friction of a situation like this, but consider where your cutting edge is, something you desire, but are also afraid of moving toward. So let's use the relationship example, say like being honest, increasingly honest and intimate relationship it's like the fear involved in that is the fear of being seen or the fear of truly being vulnerable or the fear, you know, if I'm that vulnerable and I get that close, then there's more to lose. You know, whatever it is, um, developing the particular courage of being more honest interpersonally would be a huge, you know, life enhancing growth edge. And often that's not without recognizing where we are at in the storyline. Then Leo relates to the heart, and as we likely know, it takes courage to live with an open heart. One common situation that may be arising with this transit, the Sun, Trine, Chiron, is a, a situation that calls upon our courage to receive or hold 
blessings in our lives without the fear that they will evaporate if we celebrate them or are outwardly expressive of them in some way, such as the fear of announcing good news, the fear of trusting a good thing, right? And I think um, it actually gives me the image of like a new pregnancy and how it's kind of common for people to not reveal the new pregnancy right away. Like they wait until um, a certain amount of time in to be public about that news. There's a sense sometimes I think Aries is so new, it's so vulnerable. And so we may be in the midst of something quite new and special um, and tender. And we feel not necessarily ready to be out uh, in a broader, more expressive way with it. Um, and there's validity to that, right? And then there's also, is it true for you to announce some good news or to lean into something beautiful that's happening in your life and noticing where there is that fear of like, oh, if I name this, if I embrace it, it's going to go away. Um, though it's subtle, stepping into a new level of joy or fulfillment in life is also an initiation and one that may challenge older ego constructs that we had that we're kind of working more to just survive. So survival to thrival, right? August 6th, 2021, the sun in 14 degrees of Leo will square Uranus in 14 degrees of Taurus at 4.57 p.m. This is a lead up to our new moon, which will also still stay in orb of squaring Uranus. So there can be some impetus with this transit of changing who we are, flipping the script of our identity, becoming a new being. Taurus and Leo are so sensual and fashionable, expressive, that it's possible some of this change of identity may be correlated with physical objects, like a new accessory, a new like toy, which is like a Leo thing. So like some kind of um, object, right? Um, we might be drawn to a physical object that allows us to step into a new dimension of our character. Uh, I'm definitely feeling this just being in a new space and like outfitting it in ways where um, I've lived in spaces that have been mostly furnished for some years. And this is my first time like furnishing a space um, at this level, I would say, where it's like I'm um, able to be more creative I think with it. Um, so there's definitely a sense of expression through physicality. Um, I also saw a friend, you know, make a status on Twitter of like something about, you know, reinventing herself. And I think that that, you know, Sun Uranus has so much to do with self, you know, identity reinvention. But if we're placing it in Leo and Taurus, I feel like there, there's probably something around fashion or, um, uh, accessories. And so another example of this is like when, when pursuing a craft, um, within your means, right? Like obtaining items that relate to it. So if you are starting like a new sport, you get gear, or if you're writing a book, you have a writing desk that you feel good working with. And I think it's interesting the way, you know, people can often deprive themselves of the proper accessories for their endeavors because there's a, 
a scarcity thing going on where like, I'm going to keep this, um, really inconvenient, super broken object because I, you know, want to be like resourceful and whatever. Um, but it's something that I use every day. It's something that I need. And I have to go through all these hoops to do something versus when you find a, um, accessory or an object that helps you play with your creativity with more ease. And so I'm not saying this to be, Oh, like just throw it out, get a new thing. Right. But thinking about like, if your physical landscape and the things that you have relationships with, so, you know, this microphone allows me to broadcast to you. It meant something to me to get this microphone, right? So that kind of sense of the creative utility of the objects that you have a relationship with. Um, and then another possibility that's not so material, but still has a kind of um, embodiment factor would be generating the experience or the object from within. So creating a piece of writing. So the writing almost becomes an object, like you created a poem or something. Um, creating a dance, like creating something with your body with movement or embodying yourself in a new fashion. Um, it's actually, it's super sun Uranus, like this combination of planets and individuals to be so weirdly self-aware of one's own mannerisms, you know, um, and just like how you occupy space. And so thinking about, um, I don't know if you've, if you're the kind of person who does this, um, I do it right. <laughs> and I go in and out of phases with it. Um, but I remember having a friend in high school who literally was just like admits and tells me that she works on her mannerisms. Like she thinks up mannerisms that she thinks are cute and she like embodies them. Um, so there's some kind of like Leo kind of theatrical also, you know, this person had strong Leo Aquarius axis, uh, energies Aquarius relating to Uranus, but yeah, just thinking about like, um, you know, one example I can think of is that when I was a kid, I would like have my arms crossed a lot. Um, cause I felt comfortable here. Right. But then when I read about body language and realized what this meant and what this conveyed, I was like, Oh, am I closed off? Am I guarded? Am I being self-protective and realizing too, that sometimes I just wasn't wearing, um, warm enough clothes. So I would like not dress appropriate for the weather and then be like all contracted. Right. And so realizing, um, that for me, like sprawling out and taking up space as I sit was something that I um, weirdly could practice because it was more comfortable for me to like pretzel up. Right. So just thinking about those kinds of um, ways that you gesture or ways that you inhabit your body and playing with that. Um, there is something to be said, too, for the difference in like a top-down approach where you think of something and then you embody it versus a uh, inward, outward approach where it's like something is emerging within you and you express it. So you feel into your body and move as you feel, right? Different ways to play with it. Um, August 8th, 2021, Juno in eight degrees of Sagittarius will conjunct the lunar south node in eight degrees of Sagittarius at 
2.45 a.m. Pacific. So we've had the nodes in Gemini and Sagittarius, south node in Sag. Juno and the south node joining up in Sagittarius. Um, this has been an orb since mid-May of this year, and they already formed a conjunction, Juno and the south node on July 6th. It's happening again. Um, so it's maybe peaking at the moment, but it's been it's been in the works for a couple months. Um, so this could relate to an ideological assessment of committed relationship. Juno relates to marriage. Sagittarius relates to philosophy and belief. Where do our beliefs about relationship come from? Sagittarius relates to worldview, which can be cosmic, religious, spiritual in nature, as well as social or political. Right. So what's your social idea of relationship? What's your cosmic and mystical idea of relationship? And about committed, you know, like what, where's the source of your devotion to a relationship? And then the South Node archetypally, so this is K2 in the Vedic vision. Um, this is the tail of the dragon. The North and South Node represent this karmic dragon, the North Node being the head and the South Node being the tail. And the nodal dragon, so the tail has this windy, sweepy energy, kicking up debris on the ground and bringing them up into the air. The South Node works in this way to reconstellate familiar patterns from the past. So that's both a personal past, like past lives and ancestral content, as well as a collective past, like history. Right, so just feeling into that of like something from the past that's settled into the ground sediment and this force that kind of kicks it up so that all this dust is up in the air and it feels like it's our current reality, but it's a kicking up of something from the past. And how we interact with what is swept up into the air, these elements of the past, determines what kinds of karma we create and perpetuate. So if you sense into things subtly, this game of recognizing karma and how we latch onto or let karma go is like a subtle art that can open up, especially with studying evolutionary astrology. So the opportunity is to become aware of the dynamics we exist within and then to make increasingly conscious choices. If we apply this to relationship, Juno on the South Node, there may be unconscious or socially inherited ways that we participate in relationship. Well, of course there are, um, but I said there may be. Um, our social conditioning or personal familial conditioning has worked to reinforce certain ways of relating. And if we never philosophize about this or question any of it, we're kind of just repeating the patterns in a lot of ways. Um, sometimes it's through aversion, you know, like there is something that we didn't like about our upbringing. And so then if we go on to be parents, we're like, I don't want to raise my kids in this particular way. Or we see the way our parents related. And when we go into our relationships, we're like, I didn't like that my parents did this. I'm going to do it differently. Right. And so feeling into um the karmic possibility that we can choose family dynamics that reflect certain things that we want to perpetuate. Like, oh, I loved this about my family or it was so 
natural in this way. Like in my family, we were really bookish, um, like reading and writing was super encouraged. And like, this is what I do, you know? So it was a perfect kind of container for that. Um, and then as well with what we dislike about our family, it could be things that we realized in prior lives. And we're like prone to witness and see that, uh, in the current life in a way of like, I am not that, or I don't want that, but seeing it, having it reflected, having it kicked up in the air gives us the chance to have that conscious awareness in this lifetime, a little bit esoteric. Um, it's worth mentioning that not all patterns need to be changed or changed dramatically. We often inherit things from our past lives or our ancestral lineage that are valuable, like certain affinities and gifts. Becoming aware of these things can be a moment for gratitude. Um, were there things about your family or upbringing that taught you about relationship um, that you would want to bring in? bring forth into the future um, versus what would you change? And this same day, let's see, it is the 8th. We have a new moon in Leo at 6.50 a.m. Pacific. This new moon is square Uranus and Taurus and trine Chiron and Aries. And these aspects we just explored. Um, the lunation will also be in a wider opposition to Saturn and Aquarius. So we had that Sun, Mercury, Cassini opposite Saturn last week, which I wasn't here on YouTube or on the podcast, but you can read the forecast uh, at monarchastrology.com for last week. Um, and then at the upcoming full moon, um, I always look at the upcoming full moon when I look at the new moon, because you have the seed of the new moon and like the full expression at the full uh, the moon at the full moon will be closely conjunct Jupiter and Aquarius. So that's fun. <laughs> that's very, um, you know, we're looking at this sun Uranus moment blooming into a sun Jupiter. Like there's a lot of ripeness for discovery in there. So the new phase of the lunar cycle vivifies the Uranian themes here around innovation or becoming a new version of ourselves. New moon, Uranus. It is not necessarily becoming an entirely new person. Like imagine that dramatic of a shift, right? Um, which can happen like a person flipping, right? It's usually more extreme. Um, and I've been there before, you know, when you like flip pretty radically and people are like, who are you? You don't seem like yourself. And you're like, I'm having an awakening. Like that can happen. Right. Um, but at more subtle layers, you know, sometimes those really dramatic awakenings happen because we wake up of like, oh, I've been living a lie and this is who I really am. And it starts to like come out, you know, but when you are already in this kind of path or habit of living in accordance with your truth, these kind of blooming emergences, uh, it's like layer by layer by layer. Um, and this inner revolution with this lunation may be located in a particular area of your life. See where um, 16 degrees of Leo is. See where um, 14 degrees of Uranus is falling in your chart by transit. At a ceremonial level, bringing in a desired shift may be supported by concrete or pragmatic activities. Since we're looking at a Leo Taurus square here, lunation in Leo, Uranus in Taurus, 
Leo being expression and actualization, and Taurus being embodiment. So it's one level to ideate um, a shift, to envision it, and another thing to strut and play in it in the way that we move our bodies through space, in the activities um, that we engage in through space and time. Right, so I use a lot of writing metaphors because that's just what's accessible to me, but it's like you have the idea for a piece of writing, you actually sit down and write it. Like Taurus is like, okay, let's ground it. And I think a lot of um, manifestation activities have that particular angle of like, you visualize it, you see it, you feel it, and then you take actions to materialize it. It's actually quite simple in some sense, but it, there's a playfulness where it's like you are moving through space, not just in a way that's how you've habitually moved through space, but it's like in an inspired way, like living out your visions or living out this internal impulse. Um, on the other hand, something that I wanted to point out as a possibility that's less fun um, is that there can possibly be a dysmorphic quality um, contacted through this combination, this lunation, where we feel a different way than we perceive ourselves when we look in the mirror. Um, and I don't mean this limited to appearance, so that's certainly a common way that we think of dysmorphia. Um, it can also be a life circumstance that we do not feel fits us or our concept of ourselves, like it's uh, jarring or just doesn't kind of fit. On the flip side of this, there is a radical joy in being surprised and delighted by our own expression, enjoying how we see ourselves or enjoying the creations that come forth from us. Um, and I think that sometimes that, that sense of it becoming fun is where we're tapped into who we are, who we deeply are, not this abstract vision of who we think we should be, this box that we've created in our minds and that we're trying to like from a top down way fit ourselves into. And so we don't fit our vision of ourselves. You know, what is it like? It's like thinking actually with children, right? So you're raising a child. Um, are you trying to fit that child into your vision of what activities they should be good at and what things you, you know, don't want them to explore versus are you tuning into what they're interested in and what affinities they're showing and kind of cultivating and supporting that. And so at an inner level, it's like we do have an internal truth. We have an inner nature and the practice of really cultivating and loving and protecting and caring for that part of ourselves, there's a blooming that can occur in that. And that's different than having a, a vision and I love, you know, being a visionary. I'm not against vision, but sometimes the vision isn't true. And so if we're taking this ideation and trying to like uh, box ourselves into it, it's like going to have a dysmorphic effect naturally. And um, on the other hand, sometimes there can be a creative tension in that that's valuable. Like if you're taking a, a vision that doesn't quite fit your embodiment, um, and you're working out kind of like the kinks around not being able to resonate with that vision, like imagining yourself uh, with more money or imagining yourself in a healthy relationship and then feeling like where your body, where your system cringes at those things. 
um, where there's that kind of um, static, right? And so visioning and imagining can actually help work through some of these things. Um, but the tension of Leo and Taurus is one of discovering the sensuality of our inner expression, the radiance that comes forth from inhabiting our form. This speaks to some level of resourcefulness, working with the material available to us. And so what I mean the material available to us is like who you are, right? Like what's happening within you. Um, we're, I think, in this culture really trained to live externally, like to see other visions of success or beauty or what thing, you know, how things ought to look. And then we aspire towards those external visions as opposed to dropping into like, well, what does my soft body want? Like, what's my true desire? What are my gifts? And like really kind of cultivating and then outwardly expressing those things. Um, the process of truly befriending ourselves and our lives can be full of surprising developments. Like there's a seed within us that blooms with our attention, presence, and facilitation. A deeper mystery here is listening to it, that deeper thing within us, as opposed to trying to shape and contort ourselves into something that abandons that deeper internal thing. Another metaphor or reality to consider here is the way that we might have a vision or a plan in our minds for something that we're creating in our lives um, or an art piece. And it does not come out exactly the way we envisioned it, but it takes on a life of its own, often in a way better than we could have imagined if we are willing to let go of our attachments. How much space are we granting for an organic emergence? This was a huge revelation for me in my writing practice some years back, was realizing that no matter how hard I tried, no matter how good I got with language, I would never be able to translate something exactly. And was that even the point, right? To capture reality as though a photograph, and even a photograph isn't the actual thing. It's a representation of the thing. So once I realized that it was impossible to shape my words exactly in the way that I thought I was supposed to, it became the source of freedom of like, well, what if the words just come out like a channel and I'm just surprised by what comes out, right? Like I don't get to make this poem be what I preconceived it to be. It's a living being of its own and it's going to come through me. So how can I make space for that? And so that happens at the artistic level with the things that we create. It happens with our offspring in terms of letting them be their own beings instead of um, projecting way too much onto them of who they should be. And it also is our deep inner truth and reality of like letting that come forth and blossom instead of trying to control it and make it into something particular. August 9th. Venus in 22 degrees of Virgo will oppose Neptune retrograde in 22 degrees of Pisces at 5.20 p.m. Pacific. There may be a deeply aspirational quality here around beautifying life, wanting to cultivate more beauty or value in our experience, beauty for the sake of itself. Maybe also Venus in Virgo, a little bit of utility, like it's an earth sign, so beauty with function. 
be a theme as well. Um, having this longing and wanting to materialize it, seeing where something could be better or more magical and wanting to improve it. Uh, some potential for divine discontent here, usually with Neptune, as well as sublime encounters. Venus in Virgo highlights the craft of love, that is the kind of lover who reads books about Tantra, goes to communication and sex workshops, and practices love. It's like the humility of choosing to be a good lover and choosing to learn and constantly improve. We may be finding where we allot our forgiveness for things to not be perfect, where it is true to work on a relationship or practice the deepening of intimacy versus where it is an addictive or delusional pattern, taking on a person as a project, trying to save someone, for example. While Venus is in Virgo, I've already heard numerous people talk about the imperfection of love and how relationship is a journey of growing together. That you don't just start out perfect, you know, that you're, you grow as a person and you also grow in relationship. I find Venus in Virgo is extremely willing to put effort into communication and collaboration. Venus in Virgo may also relate to the presence of, uh, or non-presence of reciprocity in this arena, how both or multiple parties are contributing effort, how both or multiple parties are willing to um, assess things and alter and um, improve things. And then August 10th, we have Mercury in 28 degrees of Leo opposite Jupiter retrograde in 28 degrees of Aquarius at 6.20 p.m. Mercury and Jupiter as planets already represent um, opposing qualities, and here they are in opposition. Um, Jupiter is the bigger picture. Mercury is the details. Jupiter tends to bring information together and incorporate and include things, at least under a particular philosophical umbrella, right? Like as a teacher, which is a Jupiter thing, I find myself doing this in astrological spaces where um, because we're learning the language of astrology, whatever we bring into the space, it's like we make correspondences with what it relates to in a chart or what it relates to astrologically. So it's like, you know, everything's astrological here. Now, if I use that energy out in the world in non-astrological spaces, it would definitely annoy people, right? And people that have judgments about astrology, um, I can connect with them. But if I say like, oh, wow, this thing you're saying is so like this thing in your chart or it's like the transit, I just watch them frown <laughs> instantly, right? Like it's just not what they want to hear and it creates disconnection. And Jupiter can have that kind of quality to it as well. Like it is very uh, enveloping and kind of like bringing everything together and about unity, but within a particular belief system and there is room there for ideological disagreement. Um, Mercury, on the other hand, picks out specific data points and asks, what about this, right? It's like Jupiter is the preacher and Mercury is the kid in the pews asking questions that annoy the fuck out of the preacher. Like, stop, just have faith. Like, don't ask that question. Um, Jupiter promotes faith and Mercury promotes logic, right? So, um, even like, you know, to bring it back to astrology, it's like, I'm not um, super intensely interested in the question of how 
astrology works. Um, in some ways I am, but not, I'm not interested in it as permission to see the workings of astrology. Like astrology is just something I see in the world. I don't need to know why it works to believe in it. And so the kind of mercurial kind of combative question with astrology is like, well, what about two people born on the same day in the same place? Why are they not exactly the same person? And it's like, well, you know, you're trying to pick apart the system, but probably when you ask a question like that and you're asking it with this kind of desire to like throw a wrench, which Mercury will do into the system, it's like, there's some kind of resistance there around the faith or around the kind of like mystery, right? On the other hand, you can get philosophical about the mercurial, like how something functions. I think I'm gonna leave this little rant behind because I'm still working on articulating um, some of these things because for me, the way that I talk about astrology is not really, uh, speaking to the, like, I'm not the kind of person who's like, Hey, I once was a skeptic. I get you. Then I found astrology. Let me show you the way. Like I've never been a skeptic. <laughs> so I don't even have those, um, forms of like mapping within myself, uh, to appeal to that kind of mind. Um, and I get annoyed, honestly, if someone wants me to go there, um, in a way of like, you need to prove astrology to me. And I'm going to ask you these hyper rational questions that are actually subliminally informed by a materialistic scientific worldview, like all of like, I'm just going to implode. Right. So I'm working on getting my thoughts organized there um, so that I'm not just an ass when those conversations come up. <laughs> Look at me. I'm just like, uh, I can't even. Why did I go there? Okay. Jupiter opposite Mercury. Maybe I'm constellating it. Jupiter and Aquarius can represent our register of a bigger picture system awareness. So understanding social networks and infrastructures and ecosystems. It may be our understandings of how things are at a deeply objective level, as well as a subjective tinted worldview that we put onto things, a school of thought that we're viewing things through. Could also be the philosophy, right, of a system. Um, so any kind of matrix worldview lens, like if you go into a space, if you are analyzing, say, like let's take the pandemic, right, that affected the whole globe. You could look at the pandemic from a spiritual worldview. You could look at the pandemic from a conspiracy worldview. You could look at the pandemic from a scientific worldview, right? Like you can look at it, you know, also from a social justice, like who, who is the most disadvantaged, right? Like there's all these different lenses that we can view this thing from. Jupiter and Aquarius is kind of like that philosophical tint to the system's view. Again, so if we take it back to astrology and like the validity of it, it's like someone who already sees everything as interconnected and understands the fractal nature of reality. It's like, well, of course the movement of the planets affects us, but someone who thinks that the planets must be emitting some kind of physical particle that gets into our brains and makes us think some something is like, that's a worldview, like how reality works that's being projected onto the possibility that the planets are sentient, right? Animism uh, is a worldview that can relate to astrology. 
Um, certain religions may see astrology as like the devil, right? So there's going to be these different philosophical tintings um, that approach how we're going to see something. Mercury and Leo here could represent how we play or are clever within these larger systems that we are aware of. Either we play into a role that conforms us to that particular matrix, or we bend the rules a little bit and play. So one thing that you know I can think of here is like, when you get a huge meta-awareness of the things that have conditioned you in life, your family upbringing, your social, cultural upbringing, and when you're having this kind of deep, you know, meta, like electric analysis of that, and you're like, oh, this is why I am this way. And these are the opportunities that I was denied. And these are the, the things that I was kind of encouraged to do. And, you know, all of that. And then within that awareness, just accepting it as it is, it's like, well, where do you get to play within that? What creative outlets are available to you based on the experiences that you've collected. And that brings in, I think, more of this potential for play, right? There's always creative constraint within play. Like there's a game and there's a structure and there's rules to that game. Um, and so Mercury and Leo, in one hand, could contest like, you know, all this social conditioning, you said this, this, and this, but what about this? This is this other thing I want to do. And why not? Right? Like there's that space with Mercury and Leo to be like, I'm just going to play this other character. Right? So there's some interesting tensions happening here. At an experiential level, look for where context of a larger system or picture, systems awareness, Aquarius, opens up possibilities for play, Mercury and Leo. The Leo-Aquarius axis can also speak to things like following our highest excitement, um, so, for example, playing with inspiration and materializing and expressing our inspiration. So I hope that you enjoyed this forecast. Uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Um, I'm always a little bit like skittish or embarrassed when I share half-baked thoughts. Uh, definitely an edge for me. But the thing about um, speaking about astrology to skeptics and the kinds of demands of like that skeptical worldview to prove, you know, to me, it just has the energy of like, um, there's a patriarchal quality to it, like not accepting as a given the love between a mother and child, like the love that a mother has, like needing to go into well, what pheromones or what chemicals are happening in her brain that makes her love. Right. Um, those kinds of ways of reducing things to scientific materialism uh, is just something that I feel um, at odds with, but my argument um, is not deeply developed because I spend most of my time and my mental energy on what I do like um, and exploring what I am interested in and kind of uh, focusing on that and less about coming up with arguments to defend my worldview. So whenever I'm asked to defend my worldview, um, it's just like not a place that I feel mentally practiced. And it's a place that I personally feel annoyed where it's just like, can you, can you not? Like, I'm just doing this thing. Right. Um, 
And I see this show up in the field in terms of people who don't let themselves explore something in the magical realm because they feel like they need to have a reason why it's valid in their minds first to jump into the magical realm. Um, so I'm still working on that. I would love to become a better communicator in that regard. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it at that. But if you enjoyed this forecast, please like the video, leave a comment, um, and I will see you next time. Hopefully, I think, I'm pretty sure that I will have a desk and a whole setup and maybe some plants and stuff. Um, but yeah, happy new moon. I love you all. Enjoy the week. Bye.